at the service of the great vigil Saturday night before Easter morning, Canon Josh Bales beguiled us with this charming story about his first middle school dance when he was age 13 in his all-boys school. And remember he talked about how intimidating it was for he and his mates to be surrounded with all these girls, how they were all dressed up and, <clears throat> and they were all, all these guys were wearing cologne that they had borrowed from their brothers and fathers. Um, I had a similar, well, no, it was actually dissimilar. Um, the point of my message today is when you dare to get out on the dance floor, things don't always go the way you had hoped. About that same age, a friend of mine who was a girl, who was not a girlfriend but a friend, asked me to be her escort at what she called her cotillion. Well, I knew it was a dress-up affair, and I knew it had something to do with dance, so I got myself all ready. Now, I had my own line of, of um, cologne. So for daily use, Jade East was okay. But when I wanted to make a point of manhood, it was English leather. <laughs> and when it was a dress-up occasion, it was British sterling. So <laughs> I'm sure that's what I had that night. So we get out on the, on the dance floor and the music starts playing. And I, I do what comes naturally. It was like, okay, I, I'd been to dances at the Fort Lauderdale Armory, and I'd watched American Bandstand. So I don't know what I was doing. It might have been the twist. It might have been the Watusi, or it might have been the jerk. But I didn't get too far into it before she said, what are you doing? <laughs> Look around you. Well, okay, if Mr. Google had been around, I would have been able to find out that a cotillion was a debutante, was a debutante dance. It was a coming out party for young ladies. So the dancing that was going on around us was ballroom dancing. It was, you know, but, and it wasn't just kind of the swaying back and forth that we used to do at the armory on slow songs. No, it was a one, two, three, four, or the waltz, neither of which I had ever learned. So I have no idea what happened the rest of that night. I, I, just, I just blocked it out. And my friend and, my friend and I never spoke of that night again. <laughs> so when Josh's message was, Easter invites us to get out on the dance floor. The problem is, Sometimes you get out on the dance floor and things just don't go the way that you had hoped. That's when you really need an Easter. And three of our passages today are, are, speak to what happens when things don't go the way you'd hoped and you really do need an Easter. You need an Easter when you find out you, that you are wrong you need an Easter when you find out that things take a lot more time than you thought they would. And you need an Easter when you realize you're just a losing failure. First, there's Paul. When you get things wrong, especially when you realize you're wrong about Jesus, Saul, whom we will know later by his Roman name, Paul, is certain the convicted 
executed rebels' followers have faked Jesus' resurrection. Now, Saul knows this because the new heavens and new earth that were supposed to accompany resurrection, they haven't come. And so, the lives of these people must be put down by any means necessary. In his mercy, the risen Christ personally steps in and shows himself to Saul. The overwhelming light brings temporary blindness a blindness that ends with his baptism, which is why baptism is called enlightenment, which is why it's our custom at baptism to give you a lit candle and say, receive the light of Christ. Now, Christ doesn't ordinarily show up to people the way he showed up to Saul. But here's the thing. Nobody's ever going to find Jesus' bones in a tomb outside Jerusalem. Not because people haven't looked hard enough, but because the bones aren't there. They aren't there because he came back from the dead. They aren't there because he's alive. They aren't there because he's doing business with you, whether you know it or not. He's risen to forgive you and then honestly to meddle with your life to make you over into your own version of himself, rightly bearing the image of God. And you need to do business with him. I need to do business with him to accept his forgiveness and to welcome his meddlesome presence so that you and I can become at last our own true self. Second, there's David. When getting to the good stuff takes a long time, when you realize good things promised to you don't come overnight. After Samuel anoints David as future king, David is Israel's golden child. He defeats Goliath. People sing about him that, well, Saul kills his thousand. David kills his 10,000. David's singing and his uh, kithara playing are so powerful, he becomes soul soother in Saul's court. But Saul's envy and murderous intent casts David into the wilderness. And it's years of running from enemies before David is elevated to the throne. Years before he can build his own house and establish a house in which God's ark can be stored. Years before he can lead the dance to bring the ark of the covenant from its temporary quarters in Shiloh to its permanent house home in Jerusalem. Only then can he look back and say, as he does in Psalm 30, you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies triumph over me. The superscription to this psalm says, this psalm David wrote after he built the house. So it's upon reflection of the road that got him to this place where he could build God's house. 
realizing that the Lord has not let his enemies triumph over him, that he can say these words. In this psalm, David likens the whole experience of the before time to a sickness unto death in which he had to cry out, to borrow commentator Derek Kidner's paraphrase of verse 10, Lord, if you let me die, you'll gain nothing but lose a worshiper. Finally, things do change for David. He's made king as had been promised as a youth. He's been permitted to dance before the ark as he brings it to Jerusalem. And he's able to sing, verse 12, you have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Finally, he's able to sing, therefore my heart sings to you without ceasing. Yahweh, my God, I will give you thanks forever, verse 13. Finally, he's able to turn to you and me and encourage us, verse 6. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. Indeed, you may be caught in what seems like an endless Good Friday. But to adapt a thought from Christian sociologist Tony Campolo, hang on. Easter did come for David. Easter did come for Jesus. And Easter will come for you. Third, there's Peter when you fail. When it comes crashing in on you that you are a lousy letdown and disappointment. Think about the scene that we've read in today's gospel. The disciples have gone fishing. Now, when Jesus comes to the shore and calls out to them, there's nothing to them, there's nothing that he says about, hey, haven't I already appeared to you? Haven't I breathed on you already, the Holy Spirit? And haven't I commissioned you to go to the nations? No. Hey, guys, just try your net on the other side. And then when they finally get to shore, he's already grilling fish on the charcoal. Nothing for the disciples who abandoned him but grace and mercy. And then there's Peter. He takes Peter aside. And by way of reminding him subtly that, that Peter had denied him three times, Jesus asks him a threefold question. But his questions aren't about, do you feel bad about the way you left me? Nor, how resolved are you to deal with things in the future? No, three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, what I really want to know from you is do you love me? When we too, like Peter, fail, friends, that's all he wants to know. Do you love me? These three individuals remind me of one of the great modern saints of the church. Her name was Frances Jane Crosby. We know her as Fanny Crosby. 
she wrote this about Easter. Christ hath risen, hallelujah. Friends of Jesus, dry your tears. Through the veil of gloom and darkness, lo, the Son of God appears. Now, she wrote, she wrote 8,000 plus hymns, the ones that are most known, although none of them managed to find their way into our hymnal, are blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. To God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Her songs are filled with imagery of sight, because if you know Fanny Crosby's name, the one thing that you probably know about her is that she was blind. At six weeks of age, Fanny caught a cold, and her eyes got inflamed, and a doctor put a, a mustard poultice on her eyes, and after that, she never did see. Now, we don't know if it was the poultice that did it or if she had a congenital condition that just took hold. But she lived to the age of 94 without being able to see. By age, at age 10, Fanny Crosby started memorizing five chapters of the Bible every week. And by age 15, she had memorized the four Gospels, the five books of Moses, the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many of the Psalms. She received a strong education at the New York Institute for the Blind and stayed on to become one of their senior teachers. Now, what most people don't know is that she came from a pretty exalted background. Fanny Crosby's ancestors were among the founders of Harvard University, and those ancestors married into the, into the uh, Mayflower families, and so she was a daughter of the Mayflower. But despite her background, she spent, largely by choice, her life mostly in poverty. She was a passionate advocate for governmental support of the blind. In fact, she was, Fanny Crosby was the first woman to speak before the United States Senate on this subject, the need to take care of the blind. She wrote lyrics, as I said, to over 8,000 songs and was, was famous for hymn for him writing. Pretty much a celebrity in both society and the church world, but because Tune writers got most of the money when you wrote a song, and the lyricists got very little. She got paid very little over the course of her life, and her commitment was to give half of everything that she made to the poor. So she lived in poverty all her life. She needed an Easter. She needed an Easter all her life, and she held on to it. She and her blind husband lost an infant, probably to Sims, and then lived apart for most of the rest of their marriage because it was a hard marriage, even though they appeared together in concerts. She saw herself not primarily as a songwriter, even though that's what we know her for. She saw herself, herself primarily as a minister in rescue missions for alcoholics and lost souls. And she lived among them near one of the roughest slums in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Whenever she sat down to write a hymn, she prayed first, 
and she kept a careful record of people who wrote to her to tell her they got saved through one of her hymns. Here's what Fanny Crosby had to say about her blindness. If I had a choice, I would choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. One of her hymns, one of her songs puts it this way, take the world, but give me Jesus. In the cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Fanny Crosby knew what it was to have the good things take a long time. She knew what it was to be judged failure by the world. Friends, I don't know. <laughs> have you been embarrassed because you got out on the dance floor and didn't know the rules? Have you been horrified to find out that you're wrong about important things in life? Are you frustrated because the road is long and winding and lined with obstacles like David's? Are you ashamed because you failed like Peter? Let Fanny Crosby's Easter hope be yours. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bringing, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen and amen.